Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. Here at The Next Reel, we've been passionately discussing movies week after week since 2011. That's a lot of movies and a lot of conversation. Sure is, Pete. And to be honest, it's a lot of work, too. But it's work that we love. If you've been enjoying our show, we'd like to remind you that there are ways to support us, even if you're not able to become a member just yet. You might have heard us talk about our new watch page, where we've listed every movie that we've talked about paired with Amazon or Apple links to rent or buy the movie. Now we'd like to introduce you to our Originals page. Let's take a trip down memory lane, Andy. Do you remember what the first film we discussed on The Next Reel was that was an adaptation? Uh, well, let's see. It wasn't, obviously, our Indiana Jones series, because those were all original. Uh, then we did Charlie Kaufman. Uh, oh, of course, it was Adaptation uh, from Susan Orlean's Orchid Thief. Exactly. We have covered quite a few adaptations over the years, and now we're providing a way for our listeners to delve into the original source material. That's right. Just head over to thenextreel.com slash originals, and you can see the list of all the adaptations that we have discussed. From our David Fincher series, featuring The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, The Social Network, Zodiac, Benjamin Button, and Fight Club. To our Paranoia trilogy with The Parallax View and All the President's Men. We have covered a variety of adaptations. Those were some great discussions, especially Fight Club. And let's not forget our baseball series with The Natural and Field of Dreams, adapted from Shoeless Joe. And Up in the Air and Thank You for Smoking. So many memorable conversations. Absolutely. And you know what's exciting? Each purchase you make through our links doesn't cost you any extra, but a percentage goes to support the next reel in our family of shows. You can support us while diving deeper into these fantastic stories, whether it's the paper, audiobook, or Kindle version. We've also included plays and movies. If they were the source, we've put it on there. So what are you waiting for? Head to thenextreel.com slash originals, support the next reel, and get your next great read today. I'm off to reread Fight Club. Now, where did I put my Kindle? I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to The Next Reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. 
in just a matter of seconds, you're going to hear a classic episode of this show from back in the day when we called ourselves Movies We Like. It took us a while to settle into the show's format, so you'll notice some differences as you listen to these episodes. For instance, it takes us a bit of time to actually get into the conversation about the movie. Things like that. But we're still proud of the conversations about the movies themselves, and we think they're worth keeping in the library. So enjoy these episodes from our back catalog. And you can become part of our Discord community, learn more about the show, and find out how you can become a supporting member at thenextreel.com. So thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to The Next Reel. We appreciate your time and attention, and we hope you enjoy the show. the next reel everybody i'm pete wright and that there is andy nelson hey 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 and we spoil movies in just a matter of seconds you're going to hear a classic episode of this show from back in the day long before we had a website or listeners or taste or class we called ourselves movies we like which was with the benefit of hindsight a terrible name. But before we send you through the window of time to gaze your earballs on movie podcast history, you should learn more about us at thenextreel.com, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app, or follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Next Reel. And if you decide to become a regular listener of this show and you're interested in supporting our ongoing work on our other series like The Film Board or The Speakeasy and Trailer Rewind, please consider a regular donation to us through our Patreon page at Patreon com slash the next reel all the contributors are invited to join us in our slack channel where we have tons of fun and they are entered to win our regular contests guest spots on this very show all sorts of good stuff so thank you everybody for downloading and listening to the next reel we appreciate your time and attention we hope you enjoy the show we haven't really uh actually uh, talked about our uh, weeks you have a good week it was a very busy week. It busy? went by you making, very. You're busy uh, making movies. No, no, I'm busy uh, making some commercials hmm. and uh, trying to to uh, give some uh, good tips to young scrapping uh, screenwriters. You're a good man to do that. Yeah, like, it's like your it's like charity work. It, it feels like charity work. The amount yeah. of money I get. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm getting a little uh, blowing in your microphone. Yeah, hold on. Move it, I, a, move it a smidge. I bumped it. Okay, oh. how's that? Oh, no, well, now works. that's you. That's you. Sound like a dragon. A dragon. <laughs> how's that? That's better. Right. Okay, I moved breathe. it farther. I moved it farther away, so yeah. I might have to speak up. But. No, you're good. You sound great. Yeah. Um. So this is, I have to imagine, I can only imagine because I know how I feel, that there are probably people who are ready for us to be done with this series. Well, if that's the case, they're really going to enjoy this one. <laughs> Legend says that a crystal skull was stolen from a mythical lost city in the Amazon, supposedly built out of solid gold, guarded by the living dead. Whoever returns the skull to the city temple will be given control over its power. All right, so we're, we've been, the last three weeks, we've been doing the, uh, the Indiana Jones series. This is the fourth and final, uh, final episode dedicated to uh, Indy. 
Let's cross our fingers that it's the last episode we have to do for this series. I, I don't know. I, okay. So I, all right. I don't even know where to start. I feel like we need a big reveal. Kingdom <laughs> of the Crystal Skull. What do we, let's talk about the movie. Uh, uh, okay. Well, it's 19 years later than, uh, when they last made a, an Indiana Jones movie. Cause the last one's 89 and then this one was 2008. Right. Um, you know, I will say something that I, I did like, um, when I read is that Harrison Ford refused to dye his hair for this. Um, he, you, you like that? You think it's, uh, you think that's good? Like authenticity? Well, I, yeah, I just think that, you know, it's acknowledging the realities that he's an older man now, you know. It's acknowledging the fact that, you know, heroes get old too. Um, and so, you know, I liked that in the story, the fact that they kind of play up his age. Um, I don't think it um, necessarily worked as well as I would have liked it to, but... Um, you don't, why? Well, okay, we got to keep talking about the movie. So, the um, cinematographer... Tell me what you think about the cinematography in this movie. Well, you know, that's interesting because Douglas Slocum, who was the DP on the other ones, he um, he's really old now. I think he's like 98 or something. Um, and he retired, actually. Last Crusade was his last film that he uh, DP'd. And so, so... So Crystal Skull was the first movie he did out of retirement. No, he didn't do it. Oh. No, he was ninety-eight years old. He's, oh, I was gonna. I I thought yeah, that was what you were trying to tell me was that this elderly ninety-eight-year-old came back to DP this movie, and I was going to be very surprised. I did not that, know that. That would have been great. But that would have no. been. That would have maybe uh, been a different uh, story. Well, um, ever since, gosh, I don't know when um, Spielberg started using using. Um, um, I'm probably going to butcher his name, but Janusz Kaminski, Janusz mm. Kaminski as his DP, um, probably in the, uh, gosh, was he was doing it with like, um, Jurassic Park? I can't remember. But anyway, um, he's been using him for a long time as his cinematographer. And, um, you know, he even said that both he and Janusz Kaminski, when they looked back on, the cinematography style that they used in these movies, um, they both felt like they had to um, kind of step backward in their, in their, you know, learning curve across life and, and to try to uh, jump back into an older mindset of how to shoot a movie, which I don't think either of them liked um, doing, you know? Mm -hmm. So I guess it was a challenge to go back and do that for this film, you know? And I will say, I mean, this film, the cinematography, looked spot on with how the other ones looked. You know, it had that very glossy Hollywood style. They did. Uh, you know, even um, it was almost even under a magnifying glass, right? I mean, it was I, I almost got the as I'm watching it, I've got this feeling like everything's just a little hot. Everything's tuned just a little hot. It's glossy, but hot. Like it's, yeah. it's even just a little bit overexposed. You know, it's just a hair. Everything yeah. looks a little bit frayed. Well, I think what, to me, what it, what um, I always think of is it looks like a set. It looks like you don't have like just completely natural darks. You know, there's not right, a real right. shadow. There's no shadowy, like real shadowy areas. It all just feels artificial. Well, especially there's the scene where they pull back where um, 
where Indiana and Mutt are, you know, they've just gone to the temple and they're about to fight the skull monkey people. Mm, yeah, right. And and the <laughs> the establishing shot for that scene is practically a tilt shift, right? It looks yeah. so miniature. Yeah. Uh, that, that you really, I mean, it's, it is as obvious a model as I think I've ever seen in one of these movies. It's pro, it's, pro, I think it may be the most obvious model that, that I've seen in the movie. I find it ironic that it comes in the fourth most recent sort of modern yeah, film. Yeah. Like they're trying. I mean, okay, come on. Yeah. Spielberg, you, you couldn't, did you want to make it look like a model like this? Well, they, they even probably went, did. Probably did. Yeah, well, they probably did. They even went back to using um, a lot of the matte paintings, you know, that I, I think kind of fell out of style yeah. when um, when CG took off. And because right. it's so easy to just, you know, paint your entire landscape in a computer now, no one actually does it manually. And so I think, you know, by going back and doing that, you know, it lent to that look. Um, you know, I don't know. I guess. I, it doesn't sound like for either of us it worked that well. Well, I don't, I don't know, and I'm, I'm a little nervous to talk about kind of how I feel about the movie with you. <laughs> I'm gonna be honest with you. I'm a little nervous about that. I feel like I'm, I feel like there's gonna be a big reveal here, and you're not gonna like me very much. Wow, I, I'm curious to see where this is gonna go. All right, all right. I need, a, I need a beer or something you should. to you handle should. this. I'm surprised. Yeah. Why are you drinking something so clear? Well, I wish it was just a big glass of gin that I could probably handle it then. Here's the thing. Yeah. I didn't hate this movie as much as I thought I would. Wow. I knew you were about to say that. I didn't hate it as much. I, I remember being really resentful when I saw this in the theater. I resented that this movie was made. I was just peeved. Yeah. And uh, and so I'm watching it, uh, watching it tonight, and I'm taking notes. And I found myself, I would just stop taking notes. And I realized that I'll be damned. I'm actually watching this movie. <laughs> I thought I was going to, you know, I wasn't keen on the open. So let's talk about the open, right? The open is kind of the big thing. The open, in fact, is what uh, we could likely say added a new bit of vernacular to the cinema culture, to the entertainment mm, culture. Yes, yes. Right? right? Nuke Definitely. The, nuke the fridge. Yeah. So taking spinning it off straight off of uh jumping the shark. Jumping the shark. And and Spielberg has said that he's he's proud that of that. He's proud of this movie. <laughs> he liked this movie. He's proud of the movie and he's particularly proud that he brought nuke the fridge into our cultural vernacular. Congratulations, yeah. Mr. Spielberg. Well, and at least he admits that, you know, it was his silly idea, you know. Yeah. So no, at least he admits it. it was silly. He owns up to it. But the interesting thing also is George Lucas is the one who, who like, right from the start, he always wanted to have aliens in this one. Like, that was his big thing. And Spielberg was, like, always against having aliens. And I, I don't think that, you know, they um, completely resolved it. But somehow George managed to pull the wool over um, – Stevenson's eyes by saying, "Oh, they're not aliens; they're interdimensional beings," and I guess then all of a sudden it was okay. I, yeah, I don't know if that makes it okay for me. No, I, 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 I didn't. I, I honestly, I felt like that was well. I, we were kind of jumping around, but we, I felt yeah. like that. Uh, I felt like uh, 
what was missing there is is that they they just didn't commit. I think if there are shortcomings in this film, it's that it's that there are there are pieces of character and there are pieces of plot and story that were non-committal. And anywhere they were non-committal, anywhere it felt like there was not a decisive choice, uh, a decisive and obvious choice, because the whole series is about decisive and obvious choices, mm-hmm. dramatic cartoon choices. And mm-hmm. in this movie, anywhere there's a, there's an obvious tr- decisive choice that is not played out fully, uh, then then it it's a shortcoming to the film. And the alien thing is a big one, uh, it seems to me, because you know I c- I could almost handle. Uh, aliens, and it feels like the effects, the way they were going with the, with the CG effects and the, the crystal alien coming, uh, you know, as they kind of meld into one another at the mm-hmm. end, as they, they do the, the roulette, Those, the roulette, yeah. uh, effect. <laughs> the crystal um, alien roulette. The crystal alien roulette. Has Is that a new that? game in Vegas? Yeah, right. And, and it felt like that was, I, okay, I get it, but they're still talking, but then John Hurt's character says, you know, they went into the space between the space. Mm, yeah. What the hell does that mean? Yeah, yeah. So I felt like that was a. And how does he even know? Yeah, well, because he was no, no it's because he was, uh, you know, he was psychically tied to the aliens. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah he I mean, did. he was nutso. He, he went nutso, tied to right. the brain for a while. Yeah. Right, right, right. Tied to the brain, which made him quote Byron. <laughs> I'm not. I mean, I'm not sure. I I understood why was, why that happened. I guess that was just the language that was in his head uh, as a as a teacher as a professor. It was, or it was um, Spielberg trying to create a little apocalypse now moment. You think that you think this was his big homage? It felt. I mean, it kind of felt like you know the crazy man in the jungle, you know, spouting poetry. <laughs> I don't know. Hmm. I that just that just popped into my head. I actually had never thought of that until this moment. So I could just be completely full of it, but it it. You know, it very well could be. They were all buddies back in the seventies. You know, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that either, but it does uh, does start to make kind of a weird sort yeah. of sense. Um, I, I we were talking about something else though, and then I don't know. I'm sure you you distracted well, me. I probably did. You did. I'm I'm good at that. Well, I'll tell you something about the film. I because I've thought about it a little bit since I rewatched it. It's only the second time I've seen it. That, that I think is a really, I mean, you know, those other three movies, I'll bet, you know, between us, we've seen those three movies, you know, over a hundred well, times easy. Yeah. Well, like I said, I mean, I still think to this day, Raiders is the film that I've seen more yeah. than any other film. Yeah. Um, so there you go. I mean, then this one I've seen twice and that I had a really hard time getting through it the second time. I mean, I didn't have a hard time getting through it. Like I was stopping it cause it was just so horrifying, but you know, I was mocking it quite a bit as I watched it. Yeah. But, it, you know, here's the thing. I, the aliens aren't what bother me with it. Like, I actually think the concept is a pretty interesting one, and it kind of fits in with that serial adventure thing. You know, you've got, um, in every story, there's some big um, mythical you know, experience going on, whether it's something that's biblical, which we have in two films, something that's, you know, um, kind of a spiritual thing from another culture, or then we have this, this alien story going on in this last one. But I think for me, it just, it felt like from the beginning, there wasn't enough 
grounding us in any sort of reality that that felt believable. And I think if I could have believed in the film a little more, I would have bought into all of it and and really enjoyed the alien story. You know, because I mean, I think I tie making a story about these aliens that I mean, everybody knows about these strange, you know, um, paintings or whatever they are on the ground that you can only see from the sky. There's a lot of really interesting, you know, things like that, that, you know, people kind of attribute to maybe it's an alien life force that, that left those here. I think it's really interesting. I just, I, <clears throat> there's just so many things going on in the film that distract me from that. All right. I'm trying to, I'm trying to, to get a, a, uh, to get a sense of where they could have uh, pulled that together better, I I have a I have a challenge with it because really I I mean I felt like um, I was I was looking for that hole right I was looking for that hole where I I was going to feel like I was disconnected, and I know this is going to just bug the hell out of you, but I <laughs> thought this movie did a better job of creating that that sort of universe for me uh, than Temple of Doom did. In, in a, in a bit, pretty significant way, like from the very open, you know, when you have the kids, uh, racing the army, right? Mm-hmm. Racing the truck. Yep. Um, that was such an American graffiti moment for me. You know, I mean, it just, it just felt like just sort of fun and frivolous and, and reckless and, um, uh, and I thought they just executed it very, very well. And so I'm, I'm watching that opening scene and then they, they, they get to the hat. They get, they do the classic silhouette mm-hmm. uh, when they, they pull Indy out and they kick him around a little bit, but you don't see his face until he bends down and you see the silhouette against the car as he puts the hat on. Uh, and it was like the punchline, um, to, uh, to a really, I thought an interesting, uh, interesting open to the story. Mm-hmm. Then they punt for about 20 minutes and, yeah. And I, I don't know, I, I, you know, everything else was, was, you know, it was just, it was just haphazard kind of effects and, and fights and, and the rocket and all that stuff and the nuke. And I, I get that. Um, but, but it felt like they got me in well early. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I didn't feel lost by, I, I didn't feel like they were, they were, you know. No, I, I agree with you. I think that all of that worked really well. Um, I, I thought that the reveal that the soldiers were actually Russians was kind of a nice little surprise. Like I didn't see that coming. That was another, uh, uh another great sort of showman, uh, move. Mm-hmm. There's this, there, well, there's this really, you know, what do they call that? You're the movie guy, right? When, when they, so they've got the, uh, what's his name? The main, uh, evil Colonel. Mm-hmm. The actor was, uh, we had him in the notes. Uh, yeah, I can't remember his name. Uh, was it? Uh, uh, please, this is going to make me crazy. It was the guy Pat Roach. Uh, no, it wasn't Pat Roach. It was not Pat Roach. Because right, Pat no, Roach died. Right, 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 right. Yeah. All right. Well, he was, anyway, but yeah, they wrote that role in you know for Pat Roach, for Pat who Roach. Was, had died, but yeah. Well, he uh, so so he's standing there, and they they've got the close up. Right. Mm-hmm. The close up on his face. And he's supposed we all think that he's the American colonel and they pull back and you see that there are like five dudes behind him. 
mm-hmm. right? Uh, and they have guns and they all twirl around. Yeah. Now, if we were standing there, right, if we were soldiers standing at that gatepost, mm-hmm. uh, we would obviously have seen that there was a train of armed gunmen ready to shoot us standing sure. behind him. Yeah. But right, because right. of the framing of the film, what is that called? There is a, that's a device, right? It's a, it's a specific uh, uh, d- filmmaking device. Well, where, it's, where they're hiding it, a piece of reality and revealing yeah, it when when the time is right, but it's because right because the audience because we can't see it because it's not in the frame. It doesn't exist. Well, that's what we're supposed to believe. Like we don't. It doesn't exist until they yeah, want it to exist for us. Exactly. I'm not sure what the name of that is, but that's exactly what it is. Right. Oh, it's not in the frame. It's not really there. Right. I mean, they do that in horror films all the time. Right. You know, it's the sort of thing that creates that jump moment. It is the jump moment. And here's, here's another place where I think it, there's a matter of sort of non-committal filmmaking, right? So you, 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 we, Spielberg is established that this is something he does. It's his thing. Right. He did it. He did it in Jaws. He did it in, in, uh, uh, he did it a lot in Jaws. Um, uh, did it all over, uh, Close Encounters. It's just his thing. It's a thing he does. Jurassic Park, please. He does it all over Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and yet then they get to the place where they fight the munchkin monkey skull people, right? Yeah. In the, in the temple. Right. And, uh, I don't, I don't know what there, there's a sequence of about, uh, I, I guess 40 seconds where they're trying to establish that there's something spooky going on. And it was absolutely the not spookiest kind of reveal. I think he's done, right? I mean, you see these monkey people. It, it's practically vaudeville. It's like a Marx brothers kind of a thing. The monkey people jumping around and, and mutt and Indy are supposed to have not seen them. You're, you're talking not about the, the temple. You're talking about the cemetery, right? Cemetery. Yeah. Yes. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, it's you know they went down it, and it looked yeah. kind of it was it looks all old and it was it's tempest. a strange cemetery. It's, I've yeah. never had to climb down a ladder into a no. into lower. Catacombs at a temp- at a, I yeah I think you're right and I I don't know if that um, fell into them trying to get back to that old cinematography style. Um, or their old storytelling style or what it was, but it did feel that way quite a bit. It felt like they were pulling out those old tricks like, oh, you know, if they, you know, they didn't notice it, then, you know, then it isn't really there. And it, it just, it felt, um, you know, it just, it didn't feel like they were, um, making all the best decisions. Like they had fully thought through everything like they should have. Right. Like maybe, uh, it, it almost felt like too many people were involved making this movie. That's kind of what it felt kind of clumsy. You know, this is something I feel frequently when I see a sequel made after a very long period of time. Um, It just feels like they're trying to get back some charm from the other ones or something. And it just always ends up coming a long period of time happened. But I can't think of any off the top of my head that actually were good when there was a long period of time after, hey, I mean, what? God, yeah, Godfather I, three had some weakness. Well, I was, I was, I was thinking about, yeah, if there are any sequels out there that took a long period of time between one film and then, you know, one of the sequels where I felt that the sequel actually worked or was at 
the same level as the previous film. Um, and I can't think of any. You know, Godfather 3 was made after, um, and well, probably pretty close to this. It was probably about 18 years uh, or 16 years from Godfather 2. That one, I think, I mean, it was a great part of the story, but I still feel it's always the weakest one. Really? Godfather 3? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's got some it's got some amazing stuff, don't get me wrong. But I think when you compare it to the first two, it's just not on par with them. Well, that'll have to be on the list. Yeah, I guess so. All right. Um, Tron, like the sequel to Tron. Granted, I don't think the first one is that great to begin with. But after 25 years, I felt like they could have at least come up with a better story. Yeah, that was a tough one to watch. Yeah, it I mean, was it was fun. I mean, if you turn it was that, eye candy. it was yeah. eye candy. It was it was actually it was I, I take it back. It was a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, uh, it was actually more fun to watch than the first one. The first one was not all that much fun to watch. I mean, it was but you know twenty five years ago. It's not anymore. It's a snoozer. It is. You're right. Yeah, but um, all, yeah. Right. all right. Anytime people take a long period of time, it just seems like you know. A lot of cooks get into the kitchen and they're all trying to figure out how to recapture that old magic. Right. Because everybody, uh, because there are so many, I mean, that I think is why I was so peeved at this movie. Right. I think I felt I, I, I probably represent, um, you know, some of the sentiments of the filmmakers was, you know, we, we have to try to capture what we remember this movie being. We yeah. remember this character being. And, um, rather than sort of let the story kind of shine with yeah. what it is now. And with the exception of Harrison Ford not dying his hair, uh, I, that may be, uh, you know, the only testament to that sentiment. Yeah. Um, yeah. the rest was just a sort of a struggle to, to find the original magic. That does not, I think, detract from the fact that I still in, enjoyed getting through this movie. I thought it was, uh, better paced, uh, than this. I, you know, than the second one. Um, I, I don't know. I think I would put it sort of on par. The, the action sequences I thought were, were interesting. I had some real trouble with the chase through the jungle. I don't know. Yeah, I didn't oh, actually read oh. your notes on the chase through the jungle. What did you, what did you think of that one? <laughs> I, I don't think very highly of the chase through the jungle. Yeah. Well, um, well, let's okay. So let's talk about the chase, and then we got to talk about animals in this movie. Well, um, I mean, the chase through the jungle. Um, I mean, <laughs> first of all, you know, it starts off with them conveniently, or they're driving some crazy tank that's got like all these grinders on the front of it that are like ripping the forest down so they can create a road right essentially without you know which maybe i'm just putting too much thought into it but it's you know i guarantee I, you are i can't I but i have a really hard time buying that the forest floor is is perfectly flat and level for them so as they tear it down there's a nice flat place that they can drive on so that's just me thinking too much. Well, no, I think what was probably happening is that the front end was grinding all the trees. And what we didn't see uh, was that the back end was actually laying pavement or some sort of rail system. Ex right, exactly. That's what you don't see. That's what I'm not seeing, right? Well, and I think at some point it starts laying somehow two rail systems because, you know, they end up having a, a jeep chase through the forest and conveniently it ends up, you know, where there's two nice stretches of path for them to be driving along. 
and uh, it works out really well. It's like, why did they even need that thing? You know, they they just were on the wrong paths. There yeah. were clearly already roads clearly, out there. Yeah, no, in the, in the Amazon jungle. <laughs> well, because you know the Nazis were there at some oh, point, I'm sure, and laid to. laid road. Yeah, right. I Looking forgot. For the boys mic. from Brazil were all down there. They were all down there too. So you see, I think there's just a a lot of uh, you're just not giving credit to the early uh, pioneers. Yeah, the early modernizers of I, I'm the not, Amazon. I'm not. It's unfortunate. So, so uh, yeah. So uh, go ahead. Well, yeah. So I was just going to say. So you know, they're driving through the jungle. It's the whole you know battle back and forth from one vehicle to the other as they're trying to get the crystal skull back from each other, and um, and then all of a sudden a sword fight starts happening on tops of the vehicles as we're going along. Uh, yeah, yeah. Why does she carry a sword? I, uh, you know, is I that, I, that may be me overthinking it. Maybe. I no, I don't think so. <laughs> I had a, I didn't get it. I didn't get that at all. I had a, I had trouble with that. I was fixating on it. Mm-hmm. Why did she? I, even from the very beginning, when she's threatening Indy, um, right? She pulls it out. She like, pulls it out. She brandishes it. Yeah. Why does she even have a sword? I don't get it. That's like dress uniform stuff, and she's not wearing dress uniform. Not right. by a by a long shot. All right. So go ahead. The sword fight. Breaks yeah. out. Not only does a sword fight break out because she has a sword, but Mutt happens to be quite an adept uh, swordsman. Yeah, conveniently we learn early on that he's you know had to take fencing, so yeah. that was yeah. a great setup for that. And actually, remind me where the second sword came from. Was that from another Russian soldier? Like, do they all run around with swords? Or maybe it was just her extra sword. Maybe it was maybe her. She extra. has dualies. Hey, that could be I'm, it. I'm gonna I'm gonna look for it. I got the movie playing right here. I'm gonna I'm gonna see if I can find it. But yeah, so we go from the sword fight to all of a sudden, um, you know, Mutt gets caught up in a vine and ends up up in the trees. But it's a and, vine like a slinky vine, right? Like it it pulls him all the way up to the top, like of the sixty tree. feet. Yeah, right. And he kind of watches them driving away. Yeah, and then uh, then all of the little monkeys of the forest. <laughs> Oh, this is just the best. I had trouble with this. They all come out and they show, it's almost like they, um, you know, speaking of this movie um, being all about, you know, psychics and how Stalin had this, you know, fascination with with, uh, psychically fighting wars, I think there was some psychic connection between Mutt and the monkeys. (laughs) I think that's what it was. I think the monkeys, you know, communicated with him psychically and taught him. It was almost like a matrix moment where they, you know, he looked into the eyes of the monkeys and he just knew how to play Tarzan. That's right. It was the Zen stare. Yeah. He, boy, he did, he nailed it. The Spider-Man Tarzan swinging through the trees thing. That was incredible. But I I just kept thinking, what are these monkeys so pissed about? Why? (laughs) When he drops, he goes and he gets to the monkey, he drops the monkeys on the, the, the bad guys, the bad truck. guys, and they go to town on the bad guys, just pulling hair and picking nose, and it was just they went crazy, and I could not, for the life of me, figure out why the monkeys got so mad. They were up in their tree; they were fine. It's because they don't like communists. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, all of the animals in the film are are uh, very. 
you know, good Democrats and Republicans. They're all anti-commie. Fascinating. That's fascinating. That was the program. While Stalin was focusing on psychics, um, McCarthy was actually out there um, psychically connecting to animals and uh, teaching them to be uh, anti-red. Anti-red. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad you pulled that one out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 So, it's real so, trouble. Go ahead. Well, so so then let's let's continue with this wonderful chase scene. Yeah. So we get to um, so they crash their vehicle or something, and they conveniently crash it into like a uh, I don't know some crazy monster ant uh, mound. The fire all, ants. The fire well, ants. they're they're probably like bullet ants or something because they're they're pretty big and bullet they ants. kill I, you. That's a thing. Bullet ants is that a is thing? a that is a thing. Yeah. All right. All right. But they're um, they are big and uh, they're so fast. Yeah, they're they're a little ridiculously fast and um, they devour you very quickly. Um, so you don't buy it. You don't buy it that they could eat that person that fast. Hmm. I don't know if I buy it or not. What I don't buy is uh, I, I actually think the ants, it's, it's kind of a, you know, it's fun, you know, bit of reality. I mean, there are all these ants out there. I think they took it to an extreme. But the thing I don't like is when the ants all of a sudden, like, you know, create this little ant pile or whatever it is they do, like climbing on each other's backs so that they can get up to um, Irina, who's like hanging from a vine pulled herself off the ground and they the ants like climb make a little ant pile to climb up to her and so one of them can get on her and then that one gets squished but i thought that was taking it a little far well that way it gets squished and pops like uh yeah pops like and it's like just full of jelly and just not not and it breaks and it breaks the fourth wall because the ant goo splatters all over the lens well that happens a couple of times too when the trucks are driving through the ants later uh, the yeah, goo, more ant the squish. goo gets a uh, goo ant squish gets on the uh, gets on the lens again, and that's yeah. It, it, I, well, you know, why would you do? Why would you do that as a filmmaker? I mean, why why would you intentionally break the fourth wall in a movie at this point when you have not when that's not a a thing that you've done before? That's not an established conceit. Yeah, I I don't know why he would have done that in this film. I think that there's kind of become a uh, a trend in horror movies in the last decade or so where when people or when when something bloody or or gory happens it splatters the lens because it makes it just seem that much grosser you know that it got that close Mm -hmm. to us i guess and i i don't know if that's why he did it because you know maybe naturally people are just afraid of you know human eating ants and then getting it squished all over the lens makes you cringe Mm mm-hmm I don't know, but you're right. It really is is really breaking a pattern that had been established with these films. You know, he had never done that before. So right. why start now? I don't know. It didn't work for me. It didn't. It didn't. Uh, I I don't think that worked. But on the other hand, I uh, you know I thought the um, uh, the ants themselves were uh, a particularly uh, fine and threatening uh, adventure. Like, you know, once you kind of get over the fact that there's ant goo on the screen, mm-hmm. if you've already bought into the faith, you let's say if you've recovered from the monkeys, uh, then the ants, oh. it, you know, the ants actually are, are not so bad. Well, I take it back, actually, because I'm out of order. The ants actually happen uh, 
No, that's right. No, you're right. Monkeys yeah, first. Right. Monkeys first, and then the ants. And by the way, I just saw I, I just saw the uh, the sword. It was in fact a spare sword, kind of a situation because um, hmm. uh, he, he uh, Mutt looks down and there is a uh, there's a, a beautifully ornate box, and he opens the box and and not one, not two, but three spare swords. Oh, are wow! In a velvet uh, pillow. How convenient uh, for him. In a velvet pillow, velvet nonetheless. Pillow. It's quite uh, lovely. Quite lovely. Oh. So, uh, all right. So, you know, he could almost have pulled out the singing sword from who's, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and I wouldn't have been more surprised. <laughs> <laughs> That's not nice. <laughs> Oh, come can on. We, can we, as long as we're talking about, about terrible use of animals, uh, we have to talk about the snake. I'm surprised that rope snake is not uh, is not part of the, the cultural gestalt as nuke, <laughs> nuke the fridge has become. I'm, are we serious about the rat snake? You know, I'll tell you, that I think is the only thing that is over the top that I, I actually really enjoy in this film. <laughs> oh, my God. I know. And I don't know why, but I laugh every time. And I think it's just because his reaction to snakes, um, which we've seen. We didn't see it in uh, the second film. We did see it in the third, right? Gosh, I can't yeah, remember if snakes. No, it's the snakes because they're. It's. Uh, it's only in the first one, maybe. Well, it's in the first one. It's the because in the second one, it's what is it in the second one? In the third one, it's it's. Well, uh, the second one is there's all the bugs. Right, and the third, the third one, is, one rats, is rats, and this one it's I don't know what is the corollary to this one. Well, there's a lot monkeys, ants, monkeys, ants, ants, but back to snakes. But nothing else gives him uh, uh, quite the thrill that snakes do. So it's a a rat snake that is apparently – okay, so I went back. I did not do this kind of research uh, for the rat snake, and I regret that. I actually went and I did some research on – uh, the nuke the fridge thing because I'm thinking could that you know could that happen is there a, a an ounce of truth right in in that and it turns out that if the conditions are exactly right you could in fact lock yourself in a fridge and if you weren't bounced into a bloody pulp right there is a distance at which uh, if you are a certain distance from the center of the blast you actually would not be incinerated but would be tossed. Uh, by the shockwave, you wouldn't be burned, but you'd be hit by the shockwave, and you'd be bounced away. And and so there's a very narrow, uh, very narrow window of <laughs> life in there. But it could happen. Now, rat snake. I did not do any research on just how much uh, weight a rat snake, a fully uh, grown rat snake, could sustain. Uh, if a grown man happened to use it as a rope or a noose or a, uh, any sort of a uh, climbing apparatus. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I have a real hard time not imagining that that thing is doesn't just get ripped apart. Why did not not get just ripped apart? Oh, yeah, it probably should have. Uh, this says adult rat snakes are typically three to five feet. That one seemed a lot longer than five. Yeah, feet. like like double. Yeah, double ten feet. I think ten feet. Yeah, probably. It seemed like an anaconda length snake. Yeah, yeah. python, a python, the, the kind that eat yeah. deer. That's right. That's what it was, and so I'm. I had a real hard time with that. 
But you you did not. That's the the stupidest part of the movie, and you actually that's one you liked. That it's, shows that shows your disdain <laughs> for this movie. Uh, it's I I don't know why. It's just his reaction to it. It's like he'd almost rather die drowning in this sand pit than than hold on to a snake and get pulled out. I don't know why. It just always makes me laugh when I see his uh, reaction to that. <laughs> Man, that's a problem. Well, you know. What are you going to do? I liked the second one. <laughs> Man, that's funny. Yes. Holy smokes. All right. So, uh, what, uh, all right. So what else? So, do we got to talk. Uh, go ahead. Well, you well so, we're, so we're talking about this fight. So we have to go on and continue the fight because it's not done yet. Because right. the next thing that happens after they manage to escape the, uh, the ants um, using the power of the crystal skull mm-hmm. to drive them back. Um, they hop in the jeep, and and what do they do? Marion drives off a cliff. Yeah, like a like a giddy schoolgirl. Uh, I you know maybe she had previously scoped out what was over the edge of that cliff because she sure acted like she, she knew what was going on. Quite confident. That's yeah, true. she's like yeah, she's just like oh just oh no 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 she did no she actually did scope it out. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. We're so angry. But you know what? She did. She drove the, here's the thing. She had all of them (laughs) except for John Hurt, who was laying Uh down, well, and Indy, right? So she's driving the truck and she drives all the way up to the edge of the cliff. Right. And in the meantime, the big Russian guy is beating the crap out of Indiana Jones. Mm -hmm. And John Hurt is holding off all the ants with his magical crystal skull. Right. Right. Laying on the ground. Many Russians are being eaten by Mm -hmm. bugs. Uh, Kate Blanchett is climbing trees. Yep. And Marion drives to the edge of the cliff and scopes out the tree. And it's like a three second shot. She looks down and she smiles. And then she comes back around and drives back up the path to pick up Indiana and John Hurt. Are you, are you watching this? Are I you am, being, are you being serious? That I'm actually watching. I just watched it. I'm watching him be, right oh, now. I'm I watching have to it. open this now because I, that just, I'm watching it. It's at, uh, it's at a minute or an hour. I got to go back a little bit. I'm going to tell you what it is. It's, uh, oh no, it's after an hour 23. Yeah. Cause I'm at an hour 23 right now. They're in the water. No, that's in the water. That's not hour the 23. Place. Oh no, that's the cliff. Sorry, I right. couldn't tell. Here's where the guy falls in into the the dead body. One twenty seven. All the ants pour here. into it's his bef- mouth. No, it's bef- it's uh. Okay. I don't know where is it. Okay, one one twenty four. Yeah. Anyway, it's right up here. It's right in this little section. And uh, and so it it because they're they're they driving the boat it. car. They cover yeah, it. They- they cover it, and I know that's frustrating because you want that to be a continuity thing. No, it's not that I want it. I, I, it just, it's just so absurd that that her decision is to uh, to drive off the cliff. Yeah. I don't know. It just. But it was. But well, okay. The absurdity is her decision to drive off the cliff if it wasn't set up, and they, it is set up. Okay, here it is at. Uh, so it's one twenty five sixteen. And she smiles. She smiles. She's giddy. She's happy. Because she knew. She's the only one who knew. Spielberg did that. He totally did that. 
That's just going to piss me off. When I, I know it is because you've been carrying this. This is your little uh, torch. I have. I have. This is a torch. Okay. She's driving, trying to get them in the vehicle. Yep. Keep going. It's right there. It's going to happen. Okay. So now we know that. So now the, the, the next level of absurdity gets to come oh. into play here. Oh, you're right. You're Does right. Is oh. it still a wise decision to think that you can drive off that cliff and land on that tree? All right. And it was beautiful, that little spatula move that she had. And the even better was just how hard the tree comes back up and slaps those Russians off the side of the cliff. <laughs> well, you know, that was in McCarthy's program also, is training the trees to spank the Russians. It's, it's the uh, the McCarthy spank. Yeah, that's what they called it. They should be the Spielberg spank. Yeah. That could, no. be a, that could be a thing. I felt like that's what I was getting when I was watching that scene. So good. So good. And here, okay, yeah. It's an so that's the that's I can buy that. It's comic book. I get that. It's comic book. It's it's very comic book, and maybe that's why it bothers me. And and you know, as I've been rewatching all these films, I think I've forgotten how comic book the second, third, and fourth ones are. Um, yeah, you know, the yeah. first one doesn't feel it to me. No, you know why? The because first- of the, because of the opening sequence. That opening sequence is all grit, baby. Give me something that's comic book in it, though. That's no, that's something- what I'm saying. It's not. It's yeah. not. Well, okay, the boulder. The boulder is comic book. Well, it's not comic the book, boulder. though. It's not something... To me, the comic book in the second, third, and fourth is all those those goofball moments that... Here's, oh, I'm just watching these ants make their ant pile. Ugh. Sorry, I got to stop watching this again. The The thing that um, is comic book is is the absurd moments with the humans... You know, usually where it's it's like the moments where they drive off the cliff. It's just those those over the top moments that are just so completely unrealistic that I just have a really hard time buying into. Yeah. And the first one, it really felt grounded a lot more in reality than the second, third, and fourth ones. Yeah. Yeah. No, I buy that. I absolutely buy that. And so I guess that's why I come back and think, why are we? Why Why is it so easy to be critical? of crystal skull and i think yeah. that's what i've been thinking the last you know as i watch this again why is it so easy for us to be so critical when there is nothing going on in crystal skull that should be a surprise given yeah. the precedent set by last crusade and temple of doom no you're There's right no, there it's... are no surprises in here there's a lot of stuff that's just plain douchey comic stupid but if you get, if you give up on the conceit that it's going to be as real as Raiders, or so, sort of gritty and uh, sunburnt and kind of pained as Raiders, if you once you let go of that, the the last three movies are practically a different series. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it almost feels like that's the trilogy, and yeah. Raiders is the different film. Exactly. Yeah. You know, that's a really interesting and kind of revealing. Um, thing to have said i think that you really um really hit it there um maybe the thing that disappoints me is films that have been coming out in the last you know four or five years have have tended to err more on the side of going back to that that sunburnt raw gritty style you know, there's been a lot more of that in films recently. Even comic book movies or like superhero movies, they tend to be more on the gritty side rather than quite so clean cut like Superman with Christopher Reeve sort of look. Right, right. And um, so maybe that's what it is, is that, you know, 
I am, I've kind of grown up as a film viewer, as an audience member, and I kind of appreciate that grittier style now as an adult. And maybe that's just what it is. Maybe as, you know, as we've grown, we kind of wish that we had, um, that the movie series had grown with us rather than stayed with the family of films that it was. Well, I I think part of the, part of the problem, at least for me, is that the, the way the movie ages for me is, uh, you you know, that every, every sort of movie I see that's, that's more modern, right? Every film I see that, that is more sort of modern and gritty, Mm -hmm. uh, actually ages my interpretation of what these movies were. The original Raiders was right. I sort of have this, this veil over it with, you know, every time I see, um, you know, new kind of grit, mm-hmm. uh, I superimpose what Raiders should have been had it been released now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What Raiders would have been had it been released now. And so when I watch it again, it looks different. Yeah. You know, it look doesn't look like the movie I remember because I'm remembering it through this filter that, that it wasn't there. Uh, so mm-hmm. I, okay. I gotta, I, I want to know how you feel about the, um, about the relationship story. Cause last time we had the father, the father-son, uh, you know, Last Crusade was all about the father-son. Yeah. And as it turns out, so is this movie. It's all about the father-son. Yeah. Um, hmm. It's, uh, it's not a bad idea. I just don't like the characters. And I think that's why I just have a hard time with it. Um, I mean, I liked what they were trying to do with Mutt, trying to go with that... Um, you know, uh, what was that? Um, the wild one. Yeah. Marlon Brando yeah. sort of vibe. Um, I, I don't know. I just Shia LaBeouf. I have hard time. It's kind of how I feel about, uh, Willie Scott. I have a hard time buying her as a twenties actress. Um, same thing with Shia LaBeouf. I have a hard time buying him as a, as a fifties, you know, kind of a teen punk. Hmm. And, um, I, right, I feel like, right. do you yeah. have, do you have an easier time buying him as a 50s teen punk or as a 2000s foil for robot devastation? I have an easier time buying him as a 2000s foil for robot devastation. Huh. That's he, he, I find that interesting. He fits for me. He fits as a modern actor. Yeah, yeah. No, I, he, yeah. I, I, I have always bought Harrison Ford in the in all the different periods that he that whatever year um, the Indiana Jones films have taken place in. I've always bought him in those years. Uh, Marion Ravenwood, I bought her so much, and and that could just be the writing for the characters. But uh, but Mutt, I just you know I bought all of the other teenagers in the um, in the film more than I bought him. Interesting. I I didn't uh, I honestly I didn't have the problem uh, with him buying him in that period. The p- problem I had with him uh, was that uh, well I you know my daughter's nine years old right. Mm-hmm. She sees I'm watching this. I'm watching on my iPad. She comes over and the sound she can't hear because I have headphones on. Mm-hmm. And she says, uh, "Is this Transformers?" Mm. And I, I, I said, well, you know, I mean, you, you kind of have a point. Like you just look at it and that I, I, I really like, I step back. I, I, I actually really like Shia LaBeouf. I, I, 
I, I like watching him. You know, I just there's something about his his rhythm and patter as an actor that I find really appealing. Yeah, I I enjoy him. I think he has been in some great films, and I think he's lent a lot to those films. I he has. I think that more often than not, he is giving more of himself than he's getting as a challenge as an mm-hmm. actor. Like I feel like they're they're casting Shia LaBeouf because he's this kind of young, kind of heartthrobby kid, mm-hmm. and and you know, I I think it'll be a little while before we actually see you know, who he's supposed to turn out to be as, yeah. a, as a character actor. And I look forward to that because I think he's one of those actors to watch. Uh, but the guy, I, I, I don't think he was, you know, I don't think he was really, you know, tested in this movie. No, was, no, I don't think so. Um, the gimmicks were too much. The, the, you know, the sword fight alone, when he's standing astride the two Jeeps, you know, mm-hmm. he's, he's getting racked by the getting giant, smacked, giant yeah. plants. I, you know, <laughs> Uh, I, I just had a, it was hard to watch. I felt bad for him. I felt bad yeah. for him. So, um, but, but the, you know, that doesn't get back to the relationship story, right? I want to get back to the relationship because I think that's just such an interesting transformation. And, and it's another one of those noncommittal moments in this movie that I think could have been really special, mm-hmm. which is that, you know, in the last movie, we didn't know until the end that the movie was about this transformation of Indiana Jones and this relationship with his father. Right. That's what the movie was about. And in this movie, there was that same sort of spirit of familial discovery, uh, you know, as he is um, as he's making this transition uh, from hero to mentor. But I didn't. I, I I just really struggled with the the beats in the movie that kept pushing him as the archetypical hero and wouldn't let him actually be the mentor that you felt like he really needed to be. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it, there were there were a lot more jokes about him being professor. Yeah. Uh, than maybe there should have been. You know, it's it's an interesting uh, point because I, what they're really missing in this film is that um, sense where we feel like Indiana does have to teach something to to Mutt, right? You know, that's and that's exactly what you're saying is like it's not there that moment of um, I don't want to say passing the torch because that feels like we're kind of passing the torch of the series, which. I don't think um, we are not doing. <clears throat> yeah, let's knock on wood. But but that moment where it's like there's a character connection there, and he sees something in Mutt that you know maybe is a, something that Mutt needs to get over, and maybe before he realizes he's his son, you know, it's one of those things where he kind of just acknowledges it there, but doesn't worry about it. And then once he does learn, it's his son. And in and what would be great is if they could have found a way to tie it in as you know part of the climactic finale where he had to teach a lesson to his son in order so that they could basically be saved. Right, and that's just what, just right. like what Henry Ford uh, did with Indiana at the end of uh, Last Crusade. Exactly. That's exactly yep. what I was thinking. Yeah. That's why I just feel like that was sort of opportunity lost. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Yeah, that was a tough you one. I, I, I had, a, I mean, and I think a lot of it is just the way that the characters were all written in this film. I like the idea of Marion coming back. I like the idea of this 
surprise son that Indiana didn't know he had. You know, I like the idea of the friend who, you know, double, maybe triple crosses him. But I just feel like they were all written so poorly um, that and the actors didn't have as much to go off of as they as they should have. They just all don't feel like solid characters to me. That I think that's I think that's right. I think that's right. That's sort of my my reflection. Even though I didn't, I felt like the the final kind of picture uh, was was it, it had it's I've never had this experience before where a movie has aged so poorly for me incorrectly. You know, like this is a movie that I just really resented over the last three years, three four years since I saw whenever did it come out? That's four years ago. Oh eight. Oh, yeah, three years ago. Since since it you know it hit that, since I saw it, I've really resented it. You know, I've resented that it was made. I felt like it was yeah. that sort of like, oh man, why did they ruin my childhood memories? Yeah. And I watched it again, and I really did not feel that uh, that same sort of burning uh, rage. Yeah. I uh, I liked it much better. I I uh, you know there were the pieces of it, the character pieces. I think that are like uh, uh, sort of drawn on stretched cellophane. You know, it feels like you just you don't have to go very far before you puncture the whole thread. You know, it just everything splits apart. But but if you don't, if you're careful with it as you're watching it, if you take care and and sort of coddle it, you can actually enjoy this movie all the way to the end. Hmm. Well. Uh, I have a hard time watching it still. <laughs> I, uh, I I definitely understand what you're saying. Um, I I just think for me, they just made decisions that um, that they shouldn't have. And I think that if they had spent another six months or a year or whatever, just getting the characters written, you know, so they really felt real. I mean, even if they kept the buffoonery going on, if the characters at least felt more real and I really bought into all of them, um, I think I would have enjoyed this film a lot more. You know, we haven't talked about David Kopp yet at no. all. I sort of can't believe that. <clears throat> that we haven't talked about him? We haven't him talked or? about him yet. Yeah. I mean, you know, here's the guy. He is. He's actually uh, written... Movies that I quite like, uh, you know. I mean, he did uh, uh, Spider Man. I I quite liked Spider Man. Uh, mm -hmm. Panic Room, quite liked mm -hmm. Panic Room. I thought Panic Room was terrific. Yeah, I I may have been uh, alone. Uh, Angels, no, I, Angels I, and I, Demons. I quite liked Angels and Demons. Um, Mission Impossible. Yeah, I, I love Mission Impossible. The Shadow. Who knows, uh, Andy? Uh, what evil lurks? And that was a uh, that was great. David David Kep knows. He does. He does. Is it Kep? Yeah. Have I been butchering it all these years? Co uh, Cope. I thought it was Cop. Cop. I don't know. Cope. Coit. David Cope. Uh, you know, uh, he's got some other ones uh, coming up. Spy versus Spy. I don't know much about that one. Um, Men in I Black Three. I'm worried about that a little bit. No, yeah, I'm not going to lie. I didn't like the first one, so I haven't watched the second one. Yeah. And I won't watch the third one. That's but, you, yeah, that, that's I, bitter. I am. Yeah. I get I'm a grumpy bitter man. So, uh so you know, what is your what's your take on his uh, Obviously we we've we agree that there are some there are some pieces of this film that are particularly fragile. How much of those are are you know attributed to uh 
to the screenplay? Most. You think? Yeah. I mean, I think it, that's where it all, you know, it all comes from the screenplay, you know? If, uh, I mean, obviously there's some improv on set and, you know, they, when they're doing the fights and, and Spielberg goes, oh, I have an idea. Let's have him hide in the fridge. And then the nuke will throw him across the state and he'll be okay because he was inside a fridge. Um, you know, I think a lot of that um, can happen, but I think for the most part, it's on the page. That's how you, that's how you, uh, you know, figure out what the budget's going to be. It all, it all stems from that. And I just, I think that, um, I don't know. I mean, David Kep, cop, whatever it is, he certainly has a lot of science fiction under his belt, you know, um, a lot of adventure, a lot of exciting films that he's worked on, that he's uh, been a part of. And I, he knows how to write a script. I think this is the case of a, of a story that has been brewing in the back of George Lucas's head for nearly 20 years. You know, he undoubtedly wanted to get the Monkey King into this one, too, if he could have. Oh. Um, you know, it, it's... It, it's yeah. a film that, um, like you said earlier on, there's a lot, a lot of cooks in the kitchen on it. And I think no matter what, David Kep was going to be up against the wall um, dealing with all these different um, opinions being slung his way. You know, I think it all, for me, the, the script issues came to a head in, at the very end after the, as they're all trying to... Uh, trying to get into the temple, right? John Hurt's character is, uh, has kind of lost his, uh, lost his mind. He's going around. He's trying. He f- finds a sand coming out of one of the idols, idol heads sticking yep, out of the... Right. And, and I, I, I had this thought that uh, sort of struck me that, you know, this is there's just too many people on screen right now. There are yep. too many relationships on screen right now. Yeah. And, uh, and you... You know, you you just lose track of of kind of what emotional elements you're supposed to you're supposed to care the most about, mm-hmm. and uh, I I think in so many respects I want the screenwriter to make those choices for me before I have to struggle with them in the theater. Yeah, I feel like that's that's their job. Make some of the hard choices for me, so I don't have well, to. You're right. It totally is their responsibility to do that. Um, unfortunately, you know, he wasn't the first screenwriter on the project. This, this story had already been developed by Lucas and then by, um, a number of screenwriters who had come on board to help get it written. You know, Jeffrey Bohm, um, who I believe wrote last crusade, you know, he wrote a couple versions of it, um, I can't remember who else worked on it. Um, I heard that M night Shyamalan did, but I don't think, um, that worked out. Um, Frank Darabont, um, you know, who was famous for, uh, Shawshank Redemption. Um, and actually he worked on a number of the young Indiana Jones episodes. I mean, he, I think wrote some of it and all of these had that, you know, alien, story going on so you know i think a lot of that of what david kep um brought to it is pulled from all of those other scripts so you know i i don't know i i think that it 
all of the character development, everything really boiled down to him making it uh, come across. And I just don't think he, I don't think he pulled it off. You know, uh, Frank Darabont uh, is a walking dead. I do. Yeah. I do. Still good. Still good. Very exciting. Still good. Freaking amazing this week. I need to watch it. I don't know. I, I, you know, I think at some point we might have to just start doing series and we'll start. Uh, uh, that'll be a hard one. <laughs> then it'll be like, okay, we've, we've got uh, 75 episodes of this show to watch. Did you see that they released the uh, box set of Law and Order? And I don't mean Law and Order like one series. I mean 456 episodes. <laughs> 456. <laughs> When you're uh, when you've got lots of time on your hands, that's a uh, pick yeah, it up. It's a serious, uh, serious sort of uh, illness that you're recovering from. God willing, that's you're going to invest in 456 hours of Law and Order. That's or a, a lot prison sentence. It's a lot of time. Uh, bottom line on this movie, uh, did uh, you know second time through, or do you do you hate it uh, more or less than you did uh, the first time? Oh, gosh, you know, the more we talk about it, I, I think I'm realizing that I probably hate it less than I did. Because I, I I was with you when I first saw this. I mean, I was I walked out of the theater livid at the uh, defecation that I felt Spielberg just dumped on my head. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's just what I felt like. It was just so painful to sit there watching that. Um. Now that time's passed, I'm watching it again, and I've read a little bit about it, and I understand why he shot it to look kind of that old style. And, you know, I, I just I have a better sense of what they were trying to do with it and everything. I still don't think it worked. I think you're right. They didn't they they pulled their punches a little bit. They didn't, you know, go all the way. Um, I think the script was weak, um, particularly where the characters were concerned. But yeah, I mean, maybe I don't like it. Maybe I don't hate it. I should say as much as I did. I think uh, for me, you just you you hit it, and I think the bottom line is, uh, I don't feel like we should have to work so hard to like an adventure film. Yeah, I feel like we had to work so hard to you know learn about it. it wasn't It wasn't uh, fun to learn about the movie because I'm interested in it. It was. It was. Man, I'm glad I did the research because. That's the only thing that saved it for me. Yeah. Shouldn't have to work so hard in a movie like this. No, you shouldn't. I We should be wanting to go yeah. learn about it just because we're fascinated rather than, right. oh, I have to slug sludge through this uh, film. I'm going to have to figure out what's going on with it. Well, and it may, maybe it's because I watch, uh, you know, I'm, I'm watching some other kind of kid films but I, i'm at the end of this movie you know I'm, they all fall when they're when the sand is coming out of the pillar at the temple right and they the the floor falls out from under them and they're about to land on the stairs that are receding into the wall mm. and uh, there's this this overhead shot where you see all uh five of the characters right mm -hmm. and they're all in a line like a chorus line and it's like their left hand is on the wall of the central pillar yeah, and the floor falls out, and they all fall down together in a in a scream. Yeah, and my my only thought was, when did I when did I come into Scooby Doo? <laughs> anyway, that's, oh, that's good. That was uh, 
that was it. Good. It's not bad. This was a good, good chat. Good talk. Yeah. What are we going to do? What are we going uh, to do next? Let's, uh, let's figure that out. Cause now we're done. We've, this is, I feel like we have, we've done our pilot season. We've yeah. We, we've completed the, uh, Indiana Jones. We never have to do this again. No, unless they make another one. So what? <laughs> What's uh? What's ne- what did we decide on? What's next? I well, you had I th- sent we were- an email that I got kind of excited about, but now I forgot what it was. Uh, it was a Charlie Kaufman oh, trilogy. Yeah. I thought that might be kind of fun to do, and then the Man with No Name trilogy. I thought would be kind of fun to do. Uh, we had talked about doing um, Alien next. I know. Wow. Um, we could hold off on that one and wait until uh, Prometheus comes out. Oh man! Is it Prometheus I, or Proteus? Now I, Prometheus. Prometheus, I thought, right? It's Prometheus. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I, I'm, I'm sort of excited about, um, about Kaufman. Yeah. Because uh, what we're talking about there is Eternal Sunshine of the uh, Spotless Mind, right? Yeah, I think we'd start with being John Malkovich. Being John Malkovich, mm-hmm. uh, and then, well, adaptation. Yeah, and adaptation, I and think. then Spotless yeah. Mind. Yeah. Or aliens. Which way? Being John Malkovich or alien? Give it. Give it up. What do you think? Toss a coin. Because that's what we're doing next. That's ah, tricky. I now that uh, you know, I just remembered that Prometheus is coming out next summer. I feel like we should hold off on the alien uh, anthology until then. Okay. And when I say alien anthology, I'm not adding in the Alien versus Predator films. That's going to be a separate series. Oh, goody. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait for that. <laughs> oh. Okay, so you so next next week we're doing we're kicking off being John Malkovich. Yeah, that's I think it. that I think that's a great idea. Let's do it. All right, you're on. Excellent. You're you are uh, Andy Nelson, the awesomest. <laughs> the awesomest yeah like the mentalist i like that yeah. it's gonna stick you, t- you you dubbed it you dubbed it good good call good call <laughs> the awesomest <laughs> till next week have a good one i've been podcasting since 2006 in that time i've tried countless hosting platforms but in august 2022 We switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM, and it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content, and we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash transistor 
Start growing your podcast today.